Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. And uh, so good to have you here. I just want a couple quick announcements. You know, I think that, was it like two weeks ago, Dre made the announcement about, the, about who was gonna win, right? You remember? And I just wanna say, we take the gift of prophecy here very seriously. And uh, you know, in the New Testament it says to weigh everything and to hold on to what is good and, and then do, abhor what is evil. And so we just wanna affirm Dre's gifts as a gifted teacher, uh, uh, his wisdom, his tremendous humility. Uh, but we want to publicly say the gift of prophecy is off the table. We so don't have that anymore. So uh, that was number one. That was the most important announcement I had. Uh, but the second announcement is that a lot of you know this, but about twice a year, we, we offer a course. It's on Sunday nights, two Sunday nights in a row. That's called the Movement Course. And this is a course where we share our vision, our values, our strategies, kind of why we do what we do the way we do it. And it's, uh, it's a course that uh, everyone who wants to, to join Rocky Peak officially is what we call a partner. Some churches call members, we call them partners. Uh, this is the course that's required. So I, I just want to get that on your radar. It starts uh, two weeks from tonight. It'll be the last week and then the last Sunday in February, then the first of Sunday in March. I actually teach that myself. It's it's here in the church from six to nine. It goes very fast. We do uh, dinner and dessert in the midst of it and just have a really great time together. And so um, if you're uh, interested in becoming a partner or even if not, but you just want to understand kind of more of our vision, values, and so on, we would love to have you there. So just want to make you aware. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And uh, inside your program is the green and white message note sheet. So whether you're here in the worship center or you're out in the patio, either one, I encourage you, especially if you're new, to take that out because we use it every week. So let's pray together. So Father, we're just so thankful to be here in your house on such a beautiful day and gathering together uh, under your leadership just for worship, just a really incredible time of worship, and then to be able to come under your leadership, under the authority of your word, uh, under the leadership of your spirit, under the authority of our king, um, and to uh, unpack uh, just some powerful passages of scripture that help us to understand who we are and what happens to us when we come to you. And so we pray today that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today on a crisp and cool fall evening, and uh, it's late at night, and he's driving home from what has been, like in his mind, the perfect date. And uh, they haven't been dating that long. Uh, they, they just met at the end of the summer. Uh, she had moved down to the area from the Bay Area, and, uh, and they'd hit it off right away. They, they'd become friends. And it didn't take long in that friendship for something more than friendship to begin to emerge. And so he asked her if, if she would want to start dating, and she said, yes, she really would. And so they've, they've been dating, and at least on his side of things, man, it's just taken off so fast. It's been almost magical. Um, it's been better than any relationship he's ever been in. Uh, and it, it's, there's, at times, it's so good, it almost feels like he's in a movie. It's almost like you're looking for cameras. Um, but at the same time, there's something deep inside that's troubling him. Uh, something that he knows is not quite right. Um, something that he keeps trying to ignore, something he keeps trying to push down. 
But in the quiet moments, it'll never let him truly relax and enjoy this relationship. And on this day, he senses that there's a decision that has to be made. And the question is, what will he do? Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in. Now it's week six of a 10-week series. It's called Supernatural, Discovering Your True Identity. And for those of you who are new, a special welcome. I know God's bringing new people every week. Last night we had a Next Step dessert. It was just awesome to meet some of the new people that are coming. Um, and so if you're new, uh, the, the core concept behind this series is that according to Jesus, according to the New Testament, according to Scripture, that, that when a person comes to Christ, that... Uh, something happens to us. The way I've been describing it in this series, it's, it's something very deep, uh, something very powerful. It's something truly profound, something that changes us at the core of our being. It's something that's truly supernatural. And, and with this change comes, uh, as I've said every week, it comes uh, a new calling in life. There's a new perspective. There's a new power. We talked about that last week. Uh, there's a new community. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's a, new, uh, there, there's a new relationship with the outside world, outside culture. Uh, there's a new enemy. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. And there's a new destiny. Uh, but it also comes with uh, a new purpose, kind of a new North Star, that the moment we come to Jesus, something changes and we receive kind of supernaturally this new sense of purpose uh, in our life. And today we want to unpack that. And so the way we're going to get at it is we're going to start by taking a look at the life of Jesus, kind of what drove him, what was his deepest passion, what was his top priority, what was kind of the highest purpose of his life. Then we're going to come back and highlight a couple of principles that flow out of his life and from the rest of the New Testament about kind of what happens to us the moment we give our life to Jesus in this area of purpose. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section this called Supernatural, The New Purpose. Now, what we're gonna do in this opening section is I just wanna do a quick flyby of seven statements that Jesus makes about what drives him, what his deepest passion in his life. And so all of these statements come from the Gospel of John. For those of you who've been with us this last year as we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we'll pick that up in a few weeks uh, and finish it out, but it, this will sound familiar. But what I want to do is that, there's, that uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus often makes these statements that gives us a window into his soul, a window into his heart, what drives him, what's his, his kind of uh, uh, top passion of his life. And so I just want to walk through these very quickly. I'll just give you a little setup for each one, and it won't take very long. Uh, they're fairly obvious. We'll just kind of jump through, go through the seven, and then that'll lay a foundation for where we're going today. So the, let's start with the, the first one is from John chapter 4. So if you've been here for the last series, you may remember this, that this happens very early in Jesus' ministry, that uh, he has, he's not gone public yet. He's just meeting his first disciples, but he has to travel north uh, from where John the Baptist is to up to the Galilee where he's grown up. And on the way, they have to go through the middle of the country, which is Samaria. And there, when they get to this certain little town called Sychar, he sends his men into the village to get some food, the Samaritan village. And he has this powerful conversation, very famous conversation with this Samaritan woman with kind of a sketchy background. But that's not the point of what, what I want to talk about today. 
what, what happens is, remember, when the men come back, they say, hey, we've got the food for you. And Jesus says, yeah, that's great, but I have food to eat that you don't know about. And it was very confusing to them. Like, did someone bring him food while we were gone? And in that context, this is what he says. He says, my food, in other words, that which energizes me, that which is, uh, uh, strengthens me, it's kind of uh, that which renews me, uh, which sustains me. He says, my food uh, is to do the will of him who sent me, the Father. And then what does he say next? And to what? Yeah, finish his work. Now, underline that's going to be very important for later on. So Jesus says, hey, this is what sustains me, fuels me in life. It is kind of my top passion is to kind of find my father's will and to do that and to, and to complete the task he's given me to do. Number two, the second one comes in John chapter five. It's the very next chapter. And the, the scene here is that Jesus has just healed a man who's been lame for 38 years. But the religious leaders are very upset with him because he healed them on the Sabbath, which in their mind is a violation of scripture and therefore means he's a false prophet. And so Jesus needs to defend himself. And this is what he says. He says, very truly, and for those of you in this last series, you know, amen, amen, right? So very truly, I tell you, catch this, the son can do what? Nothing, Nothing by himself. Underline that. Uh, we're going to see this over and over. His agenda is not to carry out his will, but to find his father's will and do it. So he says, the son can do nothing by himself. Uh, catch it, he can only do what he sees his father doing. So like a young son learning a trade from his father, he's just kind of watching and imitating. And he says, um, because whatever the father does, the son does. So the criticism, what are you doing? Healing on the Sabbath. He says, listen, do you think it's my idea? I'm just watching what my father's doing and then kind of following in his footsteps. Number three, the third passage is in John chapter six. This is the day after Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men and their families and the crowd catches up with them the next day. And he says to them, I have come down from heaven, catch this, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So we see this like a repetitive uh, drumbeat throughout the gospel of John. Number four, that comes in John 7. So uh, this happens in Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching, but people are having a hard time discerning whether Jesus' teaching is really from the Father or not because it's so different than what they've been raised with. And so Jesus says, my teaching is not my own. So again, not just what he's doing, but his teaching is not my own. He said, it comes from the one who sent me. I'm, I'm just a messenger. He said, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, to, to make a name for themselves as a great public speaker. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, of course, talking about himself, uh, he, there, he, he's a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. So Jesus says that his teaching, he's not trying to make a name for himself. He's simply trying to pass on what his father has told him to say so that his father receives glory. Again, you see this deepest passion of his life is to know, to, to love, and to please his father. The next one comes in John chapter eight, the very next chapter. Uh, and again, they're trying to figure out, like, how does Jesus have all this supernatural power? God's obviously with him. Like, what's the source of that, that uh, power? And he says, the one who sent me, that's the Father, he has not left me because what? Uh, okay, let's try it again. <laughs> well, just like, okay, right, take two. Here we go. So, he has not left me for I always do. Good, I always catch that. 
But what we're doing, these passages are giving us a window into the heart of Jesus, what drives him, what his deepest passion in life is. The next one comes from John 14. This is the last night Jesus is with his men before he's arrested. So he knows that later this evening he's going to be arrested and uh, his time is running out. He doesn't have much time to talk with his disciples. And so he says to them, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world, and of course that's whom? Yeah, Satan, the prince of this world is coming. Well, what does he mean? Well, behind Judas and this whole plot to arrest Jesus, behind that is Satan. He's the one behind that plot. And so Jesus kind of looks behind you and says, hey, Satan's coming, right? And so he says, I will, not, I, have, I will not say much more to you because the prince of this world is coming. In other words, my time is running out. Um, he says, but he has no hold over me, but the reason he comes is so the world may learn that catches, I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Once again, we see Jesus, Jesus says that this has been his whole life, right, to know, to love, and to please his Father, but this is gonna be the ultimate revelation of how much he loves his father, this, this willingness to go to the cross, even to give up his life, because this is what the father has asked of him. And then the last one uh, comes in John 17, the seventh one. And this is that later that same night where Jesus is praying and he says, uh, I have brought you glory on earth. So he says to his father, I brought you glory on earth, but catch this, by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, I want you to catch that. We started back in John 4, before he starts his public ministry. What did he say there? My, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work he's given me to do. What's he say on the night that he's going to be arrested? He said, I brought you glory by finishing the work. And so for Jesus, this is what I want you to catch. All I want you to catch for now is the driving passion of his life was to know, to love, and to please his father. That was, if you want to like open up his heart, what makes him tick? His passion, the source of his joy, the source of his freedom was his living for another. He wasn't living for himself. He was living for the one who had captured his attention for his father. All right, so that's all for now. We're just gonna lay a foundation. We'll come back to that later, but I just wanna lay a foundation of that now. So now from, from these passages and then from the rest of the New Testament, I wanna highlight kind of two important principles about who you and I are as followers of Jesus. If we come to Jesus or if not, when we come to Jesus, this is who we become. And I want to start with the basic principle. So there in your note sheet, there's a section called Supernatural, Our New Purpose. So let's start with the basic one. This is one we actually talk about here at Rocky Peak quite a bit, but we need to lay a foundation for where we're going. It's so important we get clear on this. So, so here's what we see. We look at the life of Jesus, his teaching, the New Testament. Here's the principle, is that God's vision is transformation. So like I said, we talk about this a lot, but let me just kind of spell out what, I'm, what I mean here is that that often when we think of why Jesus came and died for us, we think in terms of forgiveness, right? He came to die for us so we could be forgiven and our relationship with God would be restored and we can spend eternity with him. And of course, that's absolutely true, but the story is actually much bigger than that. 
that when Jesus came and died for us, he came so that we could be transformed to be like him, to be like our creator. Like Jesus didn't come and just die so he could be forgiven and left to be who we are. He came to die for us that so as a result of his death, we could enter in this new relationship with God, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we enter in this transformation process that starts the moment we come to Jesus and then will be completed when Jesus comes back and we're completely transformed to be like him. Now, the New Testament teaches us over and over again. We don't have time to go into all of those. This week in your life group study, they'll have some, several other examples. But uh, for today, uh, I just want to highlight one example. And the reason I've chosen this one is, once again, it comes as part of the epic story that the New Testament is telling. If you were here back uh, on the second week of the series, I did a message called The Epic Vision, where we looked at this epic vision that starts before time and goes to the end of time, the new creation, that's in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Well, this is a very similar passage. It comes in, in Romans 8. So in the first chapters of, first eight chapters of Romans, Paul has kind of laid out the whole story of creation and our rebellion and what God has done in Christ to bring us back, and he's, this whole story. And now in Romans 8, he's summing the whole thing up. And this is what he says. He says that, uh, that before time, before time began, just like in Ephesians, he says that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, God chose you. And he uses the word predestined. He predestined or planned it out that you would come to him. And, that, and then in time, he called you to himself. And then when you responded to that call, he justified you, made you right with God through the death of Christ. He says, and then the end of the story is you're going to be glorified, like we talked in week three. You're going to be transformed when he comes back to share that glory. So it's in that context that Paul makes this statement. So here in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, it says, For those God foreknew, like he knew you know, before time, he is also what? Predestined, right? And, and catch what he predestined us for. He predestined us to become conformed to what? There you go. That is the core message of the New Testament. When Jesus came after you and died for you, it wasn't to... This die so you can be forgiven and just leave you as you are. That his vision is that we would be born again as sons and daughters of the king and we, we would begin to grow in our character and be transformed supernaturally by the power of his spirit to become like our older brother. In fact, that's exactly what he says. He says to be conformed in the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so this is part of the epic vision that God is creating a new race, a new humanity of people that will share the character, the values, the priorities, the loves of our older brother. Okay, so that's where we're going to start. That God's vision for us is transformation. That's extremely important for us to get clear. But then the next principle is going to build on that, and it goes like this. The transformation starts in the heart. When we talk about transformation, we're talking about something that starts very deep inside of you, in the deepest part of you, in the part that the Bible often refers to as your heart. Now, when we think of heart, we often think in terms of emotion in our analogies, but in the ancient world, the heart was much more than that. It was kind of the control center of your life. 
It was your emotions, your thoughts, your choices. And so the message is, is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, something happens to them at the core of their being, at, at what the Bible calls their heart. Now, last week, if you were here, we looked at this passage from the Old Testament where uh, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, like the prophet Jeremiah, begins to predict that one day God will return to his people, forgive their sins, but actually begin to change them supernaturally from the inside out at the core of their being, in their heart. So let's take a look at it again. So Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. This is God speaking. I will cleanse you from your impurities and all your sins. So that's, that's what forgiveness of sins, right? That's metaphor for talking about forgiveness of sins. But then he goes on and he says, and I will give you a new what? Heart, okay? Some things, I'm gonna do something supernatural you could not do for yourself. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove your heart of stone, your hard heart that's insensitive and rebellious to God. I will give you, uh, and, I, and I, will, um, I will give you a heart of flesh. And he uses that term different than the apostle Paul. He's talking about like a, a tender heart, a heart that's sensitive to God, an obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you. We talked about that. That's where the power comes from. And, we will, and, and I will move you to follow my decrees. And so, so God says a time is coming when, when I will not just forgive your sins, but I will actually change you at the core of your being. I will give you a new heart. And this is, of course, what happens to us when we come to Jesus, that at the core of our being, we receive this new heart. And the Bible describes this in a different, uh, many different ways. For example, we've talked about it in the series uh, that, that we've talked about being born again, right? We've talked about that when someone comes to Jesus, you're born again, something happens to you, you're born again. But catch this, with, being, with the new birth comes new DNA. And uh, I just wanna give you a little sidebar on this because it's a very, it's a very important concept for us to get is that uh, the reason I use that term DNA, of course, the New Testament doesn't say DNA, right? Because that hadn't been discovered yet. Um, but here's what it does say. In the letter of 1 John, uh, John the apostle loves, you know, he's the one who tells us about the new birth in John 3, but in 1 John, he's always talking about new birth, right? And, and here's what he says. He says that when someone comes to Jesus and born again, he says that they receive the seed of God which is a term for the sperm of God. The way we would say that today is with that comes this new DNA. Um, the, the New Testament talks about we receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but, it, but it, the Holy Spirit's often referred to as the Spirit of whom? Spirit of Jesus, right? And here's what I want you to catch. With this new heart that we receive, the moment you come to Jesus, supernaturally, with this new heart, comes a new north star. It comes, with, it comes with a new purpose. It comes with a new desire to know, to love, and to please God. In fact, this is one of the signs that someone is born again, is there is this new desire in their heart to know God, 
to know more about this God, to, to love this God, to please this God. What's happened is that the DNA of Jesus has been placed at the core of our being. And who is Jesus? Well, this is why we spent the time talking about what drives Jesus. Because what happens is the moment that you come to Jesus, that we receive this new heart. Now, it's sort of in seed form. And whether that grows or gets squelched will depend on how we respond to the desires of this new heart. We'll talk more about that as we go. But what I want you to catch is that if you're a follower of Jesus, I know this about you. You may not even know it about yourself. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been born again, I know that at the deepest core of your being, you have the DNA of Jesus. And that with that comes a new desire to know him and to love him and to please him. The question is, how are we going to respond to the new, new DNA? We'll talk more. Now, later in the New Testament, Paul kind of unpacks this more for us. And there's a very famous passage of scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Many of you will be familiar with this because it's one of Paul's ways of talking about what happens to us when we become a follower of Jesus. And so some of you will recognize this in chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they come to Christ, that he or she is a new what? A new creation. It's one of the metaphors the New Testament talks about. And so in Jewish thought, at the end of time, that when the Messiah came, there would be a new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. But what happened, what the surprise is when Jesus was, rose from the dead in the middle of time, the new creation started with Jesus. And when a person comes to Jesus, the power of the coming age comes into their life here and now. The new creation starts in us, the moment, and with that comes this new desire to follow Jesus. So, well, so what's the mark of the new creation? Well, what's, what's the mark of the old creation? The old creation, we live for ourselves. The old creation, it's all about me. In the old creation, it's selfish. Well, in the new creation, Jesus came to free us from that so we could live for another and find the true fulfillment and joy that he had in living for his father. So the mark of the new creation is a new desire not to live for ourselves, but for the one who created us, the one who died for us. So let me ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question. Uh, if I were to ask you, uh, why did Jesus die for us? You know, what would you say? I think most of us would say, well, he died for us so that we could be forgiven, restored to our relationship with God, that we could spend eternity with him. And catch that all of that is 100% true. But that is only half the story. And in 2 Corinthians 5, in that same, like two verses before this new creation verse, I want you to see what Paul says, why he died for us. So there in your note sheet, he says, he, talking about Jesus, he died for all. Okay, so why did he die? He died for all that those who live, right, that's you and I, should no longer what? Live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised. Now, when Jesus died for you, it wasn't just so you could be forgiven and go to heaven. When Jesus died for you, it was so he could open the door for the coming of the Holy Spirit who brings the DNA of Jesus so we could enter into this transformation process. And with the DNA of Jesus comes this new desire, this new passion to live for Jesus like Jesus lived for his father. That is the DNA of Jesus. That's why I spent so long establishing that. Who's Jesus? Jesus lives for another. He lives for his father. Well, guess what? When you and I are born again, deep in our heart, we receive a new DNA. And at the heart of that DNA is we live for another. And this, men and women, is our path to freedom. And this is our path to fulfillment. And this is a path to flourishing. And this is the path to life itself. And yet... It's very counterintuitive, isn't it? And so the Bible is very clear that, that when we come to Jesus, yes, that we, we receive this new DNA at a heart level, um, but we still have these old fallen desires from the old creation. And so the question is, um, how are you going to respond to the new DNA? And how we respond is going to determine our future, our transformation process. And so what I want to do today is I, I, want to ask, I, I want to ask you a question. So there in your note sheet, there's a section called Supernatural, Discovering Your Purpose. And it's a very important question. In fact, it's so important that I rewrote it completely. <laughs> and so I want you to cross out what's there. All right? Cross it out. We're going to ask it a new way, I think a better way. And, um, and, and it's going to come up on the screen in just a minute, right? So here's the question. The question is, how are you responding to your new DNA? As a follower of Jesus, how are you responding to your deep new DNA? So let's, let's step back and let's review where we've come. This series, uh, this, this message is like a pyramid, you know, that builds on each other as it comes to a point. So let's, let's see where we, we started off by looking at the life of Jesus. And the reason was that we looked at seven passages that were like windows into his heart, windows into his soul, like what was his top passion in life? What drove him, right? So we started there. And then we said, secondly, the second thing we saw is that God's vision for your life and my life is much bigger that we'd simply be forgiven and go to heaven when we die, that his visions would be transformed. And then the third thing we saw is that we're, this transformation, it, it doesn't start with us just changing external behavior. It starts at a heart level when we receive the new DNA of Jesus. And, and supernaturally, we receive this new desire, this new heart to, to know, to love, and to please God. We receive this DNA of Jesus. So the question is, then how were you responding to this new DNA? And like I just said before, a couple minutes ago, that the New Testament is super clear that though we have this new DNA that comes with this new desire to know, to love, and to please God, it's our top priority, that we also have these old desires. For example, in, in Galatians 5, which we'll be studying in your life group study this week, there, there's a great example of this. 
where Paul says that and when we come to Christ, we receive the gift of his spirit, right? Brings the DNA of Jesus. We receive the gift of his spirit. He says, but you still have your kind of the, the old fallen desires from the first creation. You still, and Paul refers to those as our flesh, which is much more than just our physical body or the sins of our physical body. As you read through the relational sins, emotional sins, bitterness, you know, these kinds of things. He says, so, so he says, so here, here's where you are. You've come to Jesus, you've received the spirit, the spirit lives within you. He's generating these new desires, this new DNA, but you still have these old desires. And he says, the key to your freedom, the key to your fulfillment, the key to your transformation is to learn to listen and follow the spirit and these new desires. And that as you do, those desires grow. But of course, it works the other way too, right? Like if we follow the old desires, they grow. Like sin is addictive. The more you serve the old desires, the stronger the desires grow. Like we all know this, right? Like for example, if you're bitter against someone who has hurt you and you choose to nurse that bitterness... It will not get better. You'll become more bitter. If, if you're angry with someone and you give into that anger, and you just let all you scream, and so it's interesting, psychology has discovered this too. You scream, I just have to get it out of my system, I just scream. That doesn't diminish the anger, it intensifies the anger. And so if we, if we follow the desires of the new DNA, that desire to love, to know, and to please God grows. It becomes more and more the defining factor of who we are. But if we choose to follow the old desires, that becomes the more defining factor of who we, who we are, at least on an experiential uh, lesson, right? So, so the question is, are, how are you responding to this new DNA that you all have? We all have this. Um, let me give you an example from my own life because it's a very hard lesson to learn, isn't it? It's a very hard lesson because deep inside, here's the thing, deep inside, when we face real temptation in life, and I don't care if it's financial temptation to make finances our God or whether it's... Uh, to make uh, sexual sin our God, or that's to make anger or bitterness our like when when those when we're feeling those emotions, doesn't it feel like this will be very fulfilling to give into this? Like it feels like, hey, this is the way to go. This is sort of the path to life, and, and so because of that, often as Christians, it takes us a while to learn this. It actually. Giving into the old desires leads to death and destruction. And, and giving into this new DNA and listening and following, that leads to life. Sometimes it takes us a while. And sometimes it takes some really bad choices to learn that. You know, we, we, today we started the day with a story um, about this man who is coming home from this amazing evening. It's been like a perfect date, right? He feels like he's in a movie. At times it's like magical, this woman he's recently kind of met, became friends, and then started dating, and yet 
deep inside, he senses something is off. This is actually a story of my life, one of the bad stories. Uh, and, and so I want, I want to take back. So uh, when I was a, uh, still a younger believer, um, and uh, this was before I met Lynn, by the way. Just <laughs> Be very clear on this. Yeah, just kind of like, oh my gosh, everyone's texting Lynn. Like, uh. Um, uh, so I, I had, um, it was the fall of the year and I began dating this young woman who had recently moved into our area from uh, the Bay Area. And, uh, and it, was, it was amazing. I mean, she was, she was bright. Um, she was beautiful. Um, she was, she loved Jesus. She was just kind of like the whole package. And she was amazing. And what I found most amazing was she liked me. And uh, do you ever talk about like you're like you're batting above your average? <laughs> you know, like, you know, and so we, we just became friends. We hit it off. We became friends. And, uh, and shortly into that friendship, you know, I, I began to feel more of a draw towards something more. And I approached her with that. She was feeling the same thing. And so, and so we, we began dating. And, and I can tell you something. It was, it was truly magical. I remember coming home from one night. It's almost pinching myself. It's like this, like this feels like in a, like where are the cameras? You know, like this is like one of those amazing moving movies. I've, it, was some, it was unlike any relationship I had up to that point, right? It's very powerful. And yet inside I knew something was wrong. And it wasn't about her. Uh, it was about me. And so the back, background for this is that before I met her, that I had just come out of a couple year long relationship that was very dysfunctional. And it was dysfunctional because I'd been very disobedient. And so um, after I finally broke up with this other girl, um, I made a commitment to Jesus. Because it had, you know, like when you're in disobedience, it takes its toll, right, on your spiritual life. And so so um, I, I just knew I just needed to get back with the Lord. I needed to restore. And so I made this commitment, or I'm not going to date for quite a while. I, I have a season of just really seeking you. We, I just we need to really seek you. And uh, which I think was a very smart thing to do. Um, and so I did, and, and now I start growing it all. And so shortly after that is when this girl moves in to the, the area. And, uh, and I'm not planning on dating her because I'm not going to be dating anyone. And so that just made it all the more natural for a friendship to, to grow, you know? And then you start having these other feelings inside. And it's like, inside I know. I, I've made a commitment to Jesus. Like I've taken a vow before the Lord a month ago. <laughs> but she just seemed like too good to pass up. Like this bus is only, this train's only coming down the track one time. You know, you better jump on. <laughs> and so what did I do? My, my old DNA, my, my new DNA is calling out to me to seek the Lord, to listen to the Holy Spirit. My old desires are saying, you're the biggest fool in the world. And so what did I do? I disobeyed Jesus. It's like, yeah, I think this is better. I think this will pay off. But have you ever been in a place like that when you're, when you're living in disobedience? It doesn't matter how good life is going. 
life is still bad. Because deep inside of us, we're made for something else. We're made to live for another. And when we're living in rebellion, even if things are going great on the outside, like that relationship, there's a lack of peace inside. And that just wore on me. And even after the most amazing dates and times, I just come, I just, I couldn't really enjoy it because I knew something was wrong. And so finally I came to a place, in fact, it was the first time in my life I experienced this where the Lord spoke to me very directly through scripture. And I won't get through that, but the bottom line, I won't kind of go to that just because of time, but the bottom line message was this, Michael, the most important thing about you is your character. And right now you are compromising it. And it's the most important thing about your life. And so I realized that, okay, I've got to give this up. And so I took her out for a motorcycle ride in the moonlight. This was really lame, by the way. <laughs> for any of you who need to break up, don't do it this way. I'm just saying, like, this is not, you know. But you know what it was? I just wanted like one last amazing time, you know? And uh, so we went out for this motorcycle ride in the moonlight and it came back and then I lowered the boom, you know, and I, I told her I needed to break up and I explained why. And she was devastated. You know, she, she had, I mean, there's no way she could have seen this coming. Like she was in the movie too. And she felt incredibly betrayed. And catch this, rightly so. Because this is not something that came to me in the relationship. It's something I knew going into the relationship. And the fact of the matter was I'd played with her heart and broken it. And just a quick sidebar here is this is what happens. When we listen to our old desires instead of the new, so often it's not just you that pay the price. It's those around you pay the price. And I broke her heart. And for the next two years, off and on, I'd try to repair that relationship, just a friendship, but it never would be repaired because trust had been broken. So why do I share that story? Well, I want to share it. I share it because I think this is a microcosm of all our lives. That as believers, you know, your decisions may be different in terms of what the issue is, but the dynamic is the same, is that we all have the same Holy Spirit. As, catch this, brothers and sisters in Christ, we all share the same DNA. Can I tell you something? The deepest truth about you, the most important reality about you as a follower of Jesus is not the magnetic desire we all experience to pull towards sin. The deepest truth about you, the part that's going to last for eternity, is the new DNA of Jesus. This is the deepest truth about you. That at the core of your being, the part that's gonna, you're gonna live forever, that you've received his DNA. And the question about your future and your freedom, and your fulfillment, and your flourishing, and your impact for the kingdom, it all comes down to this. 
how will you respond to your new DNA? When we listen, when we follow, it leads to freedom. When we live for ourselves, we live for our old desires, it leads to bondage and destruction and the lack of loss of impact, hurting of those around us as we're not transformed throughout our entire person of who we are created to be. And so the question I want to leave you with is this, how are you responding to this new DNA? Now, I'd love, I want you to stay with me right now, okay? Because we're going to begin to transition. And as we begin to transition, you're going to go, oh, message is done. I know you. I know you. We've been together for a long time. Okay, so, so stick with me right here. Today, we're going to be celebrating communion. And I want to remind you what communion's about, but with a new twist, right? So when you celebrate communion, we're remembering what Jesus did for us so that we could be forgiven, so we could enter into this new relationship, so the door would be open to receive the gift of the Spirit, to receive the DNA, to receive the transforming power of Jesus, to receive this new eternity. But what we've learned today is that Jesus died for us not just to forgive our sins. He died for us so that we could live for him. He died to set us free from the old creation so he could be transformed to be like him who lived for his father. And so during this time, I'm gonna ask the band to come out. Stick with me. During this time, I wanna encourage you as we worship together, remember Jesus, thank him for his death, for the forgiveness of sins through his blood that makes all this possible. But don't stop there. I want you to remember why he died. He died for, for us so that we could live for him. And if in your life, you're right now betraying your true self, the deepest truth about you, if you're doing what I was doing, kind of being in a place of rebellion, seeking after fulfillment from our old desires, ignoring the cry of your new heart, that I want to invite you to use this time as a time of repentance, just to, to lay down whatever it is and to say, Lord, I know you died for me so I could live for you. And that's the path of freedom. And, that's, and I, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of the battle. I'm tired of being distant from you. I want to be transformed. I want to be who I am. It's a constant message of the New Testament. Constant message is not become something you're not. The constant message is men and women rise up. You are dead with Christ. You have been raised. Rise up and be who you are in the deepest part of you. Amen? Let's stand together. May you pray for us. Then we're going to go into worship. When you came in today, you should have received communion. 
And during this time of worship, when the time is right, if you spent time with the Lord, go ahead and partake and remember him and the new life he came to give us. So Lord, we come today and Jesus, we come as your people. We stand before you and just thank you for this tremendous gift that we, we could never really fully understand. Like the price that you paid, how expensive this was. And we thank you that you lived out your obedience to the Father and that you laid down your life for us. And in that, you set a path for us to freedom, an example to follow. And that we receive today, again, just your forgiveness, not based on our performance, based on yours. But we also, Lord, thank you for dying for us so that we can rise with you through the power of your spirit, through the gift of this new heart, through the new creation that's already started in us. We pray today you give us the grace and the faith to trust you and listen to this new heart that you've given us. We pray this in your name, amen.